At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this Wednesday, July 6th edition of EFTOT. Some creative editing necessary today because the episode was already in the can, as they say, when the Panthers got Baker Mayfield in the bag. I had a whole thing about Baker Mayfield that was excellent, well done, some of my best work ever. Then again, the bar is very low. That now has been scrapped. It is gone. It is in the ether all the great things I said. The message though was, and I will repeat this, if you're going to make the move on Baker Mayfield, what are you waiting for? Get it done. Make it happen. The idea that the Browns were not going to keep him reduces their leverage. They need to make a deal. Baker Mayfield wasn't going to play ball with the Browns and just stay home not participate in training camp. He was going to be there with proverbial and or literal bells on. They needed to get the deal done and whoever wanted him needed to make it happen. There was so much talk about the Seahawks. Do they want him? Do they not want him? Who knows? We knew the Panthers were involved. There were other teams that I thought should have been involved. We did a comprehensive list over the weekend of all the teams that should look at Baker Mayfield's film and ask themselves when he's healthy, could he be better than our current best option? At the end of the day, the Panthers decided to not let it wait any longer. Make it happen now before somebody else comes and gets him. That's the problem. The longer you wait, the greater the chance somebody else wakes up and says, holy crap, our quarterbacks aren't as good as they need to be. We need to go get Baker Mayfield before the Panthers do. The Panthers finally make the move and get the deal done. Reportedly, the Browns will still pay $10.5 million of the $18.8 million fully guaranteed salary that Mayfield was due to make under the fran- not franchise tag, the fifth-year option this year. More on the franchise tag in a second. Panthers pay five, and then that leaves. My math skills aren't very good, but I think it's $3.3 million. Nailed it. $3.3 million that Baker Mayfield eats, but he can make it back, reportedly, via incentives. And at first blush, people are going, well, why would he give up anything? Why should he give up anything? Here's why. Here's why. By making a concession, and we raised the possibility of him making a concession, reducing his pay back in April when the Browns and the Panthers were talking about a deal, but they just couldn't get it done because the Panthers wanted the Browns to pay like 14 or $15 million. So the Panthers at least bumped up from 3 or 4 to $5 million to make this happen. It was too big of a gap for Mayfield to get involved, but at some point – It made sense for him to reduce what he's due to make because the Browns could screw him if they want to. The Browns could say, you play for us or you play for no one. If you don't show up, you don't get your money. Yeah, you get $18.8 million, but that's if you're on the team. We expect you to be here, and we expect you to behave. And if you don't behave, we may do to you what the Ravens did to Earl Thomas a couple of years ago, cut you for reasons other than skill injury cap, meaning you don't get anything. So it extricated Baker Mayfield from an awkward situation and it lets him get to Carolina day one of training camp so he can get himself ensconced, so he can get himself ready, so he can go out and have the kind of year that will set him up for a big contract in 2023. It's that simple. That's why you give up the 3.3 and you have the ability to make the money back on the back end. So it's a win-win. Baker Mayfield goes to the Panthers, Browns get rid of one of their various quarterback headaches, and something that should have been done a while ago finally gets done as we get closer to the start of training camp. When we say this is a deadline-driven business, I think the real deadline now came more from fear on the part of the Panthers that if they continued to screw around, somebody else was going to come and get him. And this dovetails with a point that comes later in the podcast. Some of your best leverage when you're in a situation like this, is to sell the idea that I'm just going to keep the guy. 
I'm not going to trade him. That causes you to maybe sit back and wait for a higher price. But the Browns not having that. They needed two teams to get involved or the perception of two teams. Ultimately, the Panthers sealing off the opportunity for someone else to get involved. They get the deal done. Baker Mayfield becomes a Carolina Panther. And it would have been better if he'd been there for the offseason program. But it would have been worse if a trade hadn't happened until three weeks in, four weeks in to training camp in the preseason, right before the start of the regular season, or maybe even into the regular season, if the Browns were willing to play it out that way and hold on to him and hope and wait for a quarterback to get injured somewhere else. So better late than never, and maybe right in the nick of time, if the Seahawks or another team, like the Lions, I was trying to make it happen to the Lions. I thought the Lions would have been far better off with him than with Jared Goff, all due respect. But no, it's the Panthers. And now, now, topic two. What are his prospects with the Panthers? I still think he would have been better off being the Browns quarterback this year if they weren't going to have Deshaun Watson, but we don't know whether or not they're going to have him for all of the season, some of the season, or any of the season. And Mayfield didn't want to play for them anymore. In Carolina, he's got a head coach in Matt Rule, who I think is under siege, I think is on the hot seat, a first-year offensive coordinator in Ben McAdoo, who probably was option D, E, or F at best, when Rule was trying to find a new offensive coordinator. And now they got to make it work. He's got to work with McAdoo. He's got to work with Rule, the weight of the world on Baker Mayfield and the coaching staff to have the kind of a season that gets David Tepper to not fire everybody. It's a situation that behooves Baker Mayfield to have the best year he can. Then he either stays with the Panthers with a new contract or he moves on and makes his money elsewhere. So he's got an incentive to make it work. I just don't know that it was the best place for him to make it work at the highest possible level. But the reality is they were the team that did it. Who was the other team that truly was linked to Baker Mayfield in a meaningful way? I know there have been reports that the Seahawks wanted him. There's never been any report of actual trade talks. And the Browns would know. I think the Browns liked the idea that the Panthers had to worry about the Seahawks, but there was no indication the Seahawks were going to make the move. So the Panthers are the team. And Mayfield's got to accept it, and he's got to go try to make chicken salad in his fifth year in the NFL in the hopes of getting the contract he didn't get last year from the Browns because, look, I think the Browns would have paid him $30 million a year, and he was right to hold out for more. The problem is, hurts his shoulder week two. He's never the same, but he's far better than what our short-term memory would suggest. And we've got a lot of short-sighted fans and analysts that forget how Mayfield played in 2020, especially down the stretch. You're tainted by what you saw last year when his non-throwing shoulder was so messed up. So he could be very good. The coaching is going to be a question, but it's not like he had a better option. He needed to go somewhere where he could get himself ready and have a reasonable chance to have the kind of season that would unlock the contract that he hopes to get somewhere else. Now, I haven't seen any reports on this yet, so I assume that the Panthers are not waived their ability to use the franchise tag in 2023, I apologize if that has come to light since I utter these words and they make it to your podcast feed, but that's a key consideration because that's the way for the Panthers to keep him around next year. If he has a great year, that's their leverage against him going to the open market. And if I'm Mayfield, if I'm giving up 3.3 million, I'm asking for an agreement that I neither be franchise tagged nor transition tagged. In fact, I'd rather have that as the payoff on my incentives than the 3.3 million, because you're talking about a big difference potentially between what you can get as an unrestricted free agent and what you would get under the franchise tag if it comes to that. But if it comes to that, good problem to have for the team, bad problem for Mayfield because it delays his chance to get the kind of contract he didn't get last year, can't get now, and would only get next year at the earliest while negotiating from the base value of the franchise tag. So what does it mean for the quarterback under contract with the Panthers who will get $18.8 million this year fully guaranteed? Sam Darnold, third pick in the 2018 draft, two spots after Mayfield, the guy the Panthers traded for last year who was supposedly the savior, and he had a great three games to start the season. They just couldn't sustain it. He was the guy until he wasn't, and now he isn't. Do they keep him around? Is the backup to Baker Mayfield and pay him 18.8? Do they trade him? 
Does he become a candidate for the Seahawks, for example? If they really were thinking about Baker Mayfield, do they now pivot to Sam Darnold and try to get a deal where the Panthers pay $10.5 million and the Seahawks or some other team pays $5 million? It's going to be a real question, and it's going to be interesting to see what Darnold has to say about all this and whether it meshes with whatever he's been told by the team. Although he can't act surprised unless they have lied to him and said, now nah, those reports are fake news. We're not talking to the Browns about a trade for you. We have no intent to trade for Baker Mayfield. Unless he's been lied to, he's got no reason to be upset. He knows what's gone on and he gets 18.8 million either way. But just like Mayfield, he needs to be in a place where he can play and set the stage for a contract next year. Although between the two guys, obviously Mayfield more accomplished, higher potential, Obviously, big reason why the Panthers, after the offseason program, decided to say no thanks to Sam Darnold and hello to Baker Mayfield, even after drafting Matt Corral, who clearly is going to be on red shirt slash scholarship this year. Barring a disaster, we're not going to see Matt Corral play because they've got Mayfield in, at least for now, Darnold. I would trade him if I could. I just don't know where that trade partner would happen. But you know what? Maybe the Panthers squat on him the way the Browns would have squatted on Baker Mayfield and wait for a possible injury. It's far from inevitable at the quarterback position, but it's possible. Starter gets injured. All of a sudden there's a market for Sam Darnold. That's where the Panthers now are, unless they have a plan to move on from him, trade him to the Texans. I mean, we could do the same thing with Darnold that we did with Mayfield. Identify the universe of teams that could be or should be interested. Problem is going to be fewer teams. How many teams really could look at Sam Darnold and say, hey, that guy's better than what we currently have? There may not be many teams on that list at all, quite frankly. There's another name that hasn't been brought up, but needs to be. Jimmy Garoppolo. What does this all mean for him? Well, it's good for him because it clears Baker Mayfield out of the way. Garoppolo is now the guy. He's the guy who ends up somewhere now that the Panthers have traded for Mayfield. Of course, it takes the Panthers out of the mix for Jimmy G, but Mayfield was hovering over everything and really kind of keeping Garoppolo's situation from getting resolved. Now, as he closes in on getting full clearance to throw after having surgery, not on his non-throwing shoulder like Mayfield, but his throwing shoulder, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. People have suggested maybe the Browns should get him in the event that Deshaun Watson is out for the year. And hey, if he gets suspended for the full year, I think the Browns need to make that phone call to the 49ers. The difference, though, is, and it becomes more complicated, Garoppolo is due to make $25 million, and once he passes his physical, not a penny of it is guaranteed. And the worst-case scenario for him, as we've said before, 49ers get through all of training camp, all of the preseason. They go to Jimmy G and say, hey, we love you. You've been a great guy. Trey Lance is our starter. We can only keep you around if you cut your salary from $25 million to $8 million. Take it or leave it. And if he leaves it and they cut him, where does he go at that point? Just like Mayfield, he needs to get his situation resolved now so he's on a team when training camp opens that puts him in the best position to have the kind of year that gets him in line for another contract. I mean, he's still fairly young as quarterbacks go, and he's one season away from becoming a free agent yet again. So he now moves into the top position, as we figure out how this game of quarterback carousel is going to continue and we'll see what happens. Maybe things happen quickly. Maybe now that Mayfield's done, someone that's out there who'd previously been reluctant to make a trade for Jimmy G swoops in again. And this is the point that I made very aggressively in the portion of the podcast that was deleted by ensuing events. If you want the guy, don't screw around. I know everybody wants to get a good deal, but don't try so hard to get a good deal that you kill your ability to get any deal. If Garoppolo's your guy, if you're the Texans and you've been holding your cards closed to the vest and you've been creating the impression Davis Mills is your guy because you're just waiting for the right chance to go get Jimmy G. Think of all the Patriots connections on the Texans staff to Jimmy G. 
Now's the time to do it. Don't screw around. Don't worry about what it's going to cost financially. Don't worry about what it's going to cost by way of draft picks if you believe that this is your guy. And I think he's a guy who may not take you to a Super Bowl, but he could turn a four-win team into a nine-win team if he's healthy. He could. My biggest criticism of him is that in the biggest spots, he doesn't show up. But he shows up in the not biggest spots, which is kind of what the Texans could use right now. So if the Texans are thinking about it, now is the time to do it. Do not delay. Make it happen, just like the Panthers did today with Baker Mayfield and give Jimmy Garoppolo full opportunity to be the best guy he can be. The point that Ron Rivera made as it relates to searching for a quarterback earlier this year when they were calling every team in the league, who cares what you give up if it works? Nobody's saying, hey, whoa, look at what the Rams gave up for Matthew Stafford. It worked. If you think Jimmy G is going to work for you, you go out and you get him. And I don't know what teams all fall into that category. I would say the Texans, the Browns, if they don't have Deshaun Watson. I think Baker Mayfield would have been perfect for the Lions, but is Garoppolo better for the Lions than Jared Goff? I know they got an issue with Goff's contract and they seem to be all in with him for at least a year, but I'm going to sit back and, and contemplate that one. I'm going to reserve judgment for now, but I will be taking a look. I may even text Sims and bother him. Which teams out there right now, based on who their best option is, should be thinking, hmm, maybe we should go get Jimmy G. And if there is a team that already has made that decision, don't screw around because you may blow your opportunity to get him at all if you worry about trying to get the best possible deal that you can. Right. We now continue the Wednesday edition of PFTOT with our previously recorded podcast. As always, thanks again for tuning in. And here's plenty more that we discussed before Baker Mayfield ended up being traded to the Panthers. I shape a lot of what I decide to talk about based upon questions I get. And of course, I get a bunch of questions about Deshaun Watson. What is going on? Well, nothing right now because the league and the union are putting together paperwork that's going to be submitted by next Monday, July the 11th. And both sides will presumably submit their paperwork simultaneously. So the other side doesn't get a chance to react to what the other side had to say, that's when the clock ticks on Judge Robinson to come up with a decision. I still think it's going to take two weeks. Anything less than a week or so makes it look like she rushed it. I think two weeks makes sense. July 25 is when I'm really going to start paying attention with the possibility of July 22, that Friday beforehand. But just about the time we come back on PFT Live, Peacock, Sirius XM85, et cetera, that may be when the window opens for a decision Deshaun Watson. There's been a lot of talk about settlement too. I wrote about this late last night slash early this morning. And I think it does make sense. It always makes sense for two sides that are in any type of a legal proceeding to come to a decision if they can. It's better to engineer the outcome and have both sides a little bit upset than roll the dice and ensure that one side is going to be really upset and the other side is going to be really happy. It's just part of managing the outcome and coming up with something that works for everyone. In theory, that makes sense. Here's the problem. Fundamental challenge for the NFL. It cannot afford to be perceived as being lenient in any way on Deshaun Watson. And when the league is repeatedly making it known that it's seeking a minimum suspension of one year for Deshaun Watson, how do you back off on that without appearing weak, without appearing ineffective without appearing too lenient with someone who the league believes did enough to justify a four-year suspension. Why are you giving up now? Why are you folding tents and accepting a six or an eight-game suspension? That, to me, is difficult to accomplish until Judge Robinson issues a decision because her decision, in a certain way, sanitizes the league's position on this because she's the one true outsider who comes to the conclusion as to what happened here. That's why I've said time and again, it's critical that whatever she puts on paper makes sense, is understandable, no jargon, legalese, mumbo jumbo, something that is simple 
that people will say, okay, I get it. I may not agree with her outcome, but I understand how she got from the entry to the maze to the exit of the maze. And by doing that, it makes it easier for the NFL to say, for example, okay, she suspends him. And I'm just throwing numbers out here, four games. She suspends him four games. Then the league, since it has the hammer on appeal and the commissioner can, in theory, the way the CBA is written, the way the personal conduct policy has been revised in 2020, he can take that four and turn it into 17 if he wants to. That's when I think a negotiated outcome becomes more practical, it becomes more likely, it becomes more feasible. Because that's when the league can say, look, she set the floor and we know what the ceiling is. We'll just try to reach something in between. And I still think back to that idea that kind of popped up a week or two ago of treating 2021 like an unpaid suspension after the fact. You'd have to give up the $10 million he made in salary last year for not playing. And I understand that we're in an age where people just lock into a position and just shout it regardless of reality, regardless of whether it makes sense. And I'll hear all the time, oh, he, he, he chose not to play. He, he wasn't on paid leave. Look, let's take a step back. Let's all take a step back and ask ourselves, without this off-field issue in 2021, 22 lawsuits at the time, 10 criminal complaints, without those entanglements, he plays last year, doesn't he? He gets traded last year. The Texans don't dig in and wait as the season unfolds. They get a deal done. Somebody would have wanted him. Somebody would have said, let's go do this. The trade would have happened. He would have been a dolphin without the, the off-field issues, period. By the trade deadline, he would have been a dolphin. So he would have played last year. So, and, and I know that, look, like with any other issue that we deal with in these times, there are two sides with a huge gap in the middle, and it's very difficult to find middle ground. There are the people who say he shouldn't be suspended at all. He didn't do anything. There's no proof. And then there's people who say suspend him for life or at least a full season. So the NFL has to make its decisions in light of the fact that you've got these two polar extremes. And I think waiting for Judge Robinson to make her decision makes it easier for the NFL to then try to settle it. But, but remember, the NFL has got the hammer at that point. As long as she imposes any discipline on him whatsoever, the NFL has the hammer. The commissioner on appeal can enhance it to whatever he wants. He's only limited by her factual findings. He would have to take her factual findings and say, okay, I accept these. I have no choice but to accept them. But I think under these facts, the way the personal conduct policy applies to these facts, the punishment should be much more than what someone who was a federal judge for 25 years had concluded. But he still has the power to do it. And in theory, there's nothing the union can do after that under the CBA. I know they can go to court, but again, judges don't like to get involved when private parties have put together a comprehensive system for resolving their differences. So we continue to wait, we continue to watch. A settlement could happen at any time. I just think it would be a very tough sell for the league to explain to people why after insisting on a minimum suspension of one year, the league decided, okay, we'll do six games, four games, eight games, whatever. It's gonna to be tough to do. Even if you make 2021 a de facto after the fact suspension, it's gonna to be tough to do. And from Watson's perspective, somebody pointed this out to me today. Hey, there's gonna be all sorts of awkward and embarrassing facts that come out if Judge Robinson issues a written decision. How is it any worse than what's already come out? Like, I don't think from Watson's perspective, part of the leverage is against him. Oh, hey, if you don't settle this, there's going to be a lot of stuff. It's going to be, they're going to say a lot of stuff. They already are saying a lot of stuff about him. How worse can it get? So I, I think that the league knows it has to wait. And the risk the league takes is that Judge Robinson will impose no discipline whatsoever. And then that slams the door on anything that the league could do on appeal. And he's back week one. Although we, we've talked about it before. I don't wanna to spend too much time or much more time than I already have on this. I think it's 
tough to get no discipline at all, but we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a fascinating read. I assume since it doesn't involve an owner, there will be full transparency. Since it involves a player, the league will release the full document for all to observe. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Some people have been trying to report into existence a sale of the Seattle Seahawks. It prompted Jody Allen, the owner of the team, she inherited the team along with the Portland Trailblazers and the rest of her brother's estate from Paul Allen when he passed in 2018 to issue a statement yesterday saying the two teams aren't for sale. Now, this comes after weeks of speculation and reporting. Phil Knight, the Nike founder, supposedly submitted an offer to Jody Allen for the Portland Trailblazers. Plenty of talk about the Seahawks and the Trailblazers being for sale. So they're not for sale now. But if you read the statement, if you saw our article at PFT and you saw some our tweets on this, it's pretty clear that eventually the teams are going to be for sale. And if you peel back the language and parse it out and think about it, and you consider some of the reporting out there, and this all started with a suggestion from a radio host in Portland, whose name escapes me at the moment, that Paul Allen's trust calls for these properties to be sold so that the money can be devoted to some of his pet projects, some of his causes. That's going to happen eventually. Now, they're creating the impression there's no timetable for that. And this gets back to what I was talking about earlier as it relates to Baker Mayfield. The Seahawks are trying to set up, in my estimation, the idea that we're not interested in selling. That drives up the price. The price ends up being whatever someone pays. Broncos, $4.65 billion. Do you really think that that number was driven by some some? specific calculation of revenues and net worth. No, something is worth whatever someone will pay for. If someone really wants it, they'll pay enough to get it. And if part of your leverage is I'm just going to keep it and I'm in no rush to sell, that drives the price higher, results in more money that ultimately goes through Paul Allen's estate to the causes he wants to support. So it's smart. And also the other thing to remember there was some reporting on this a couple of weeks ago. Again, I can't remember who it came from, but the idea that the deal for the Seahawks current stadium requires 10% of the proceeds of a sale of the team to go to the state of Washington if it's done before May of 2024, this isn't going to be done before May of 2024. And I guarantee you that if they get an offer they like at some point after May of 2024, or if the offer comes in just before that and they get the deal done after May, two years from now, they'll, they'll, they'll take it. They'll take it. But you get more that way than if you just hold an auction. When you hold an auction, you don't know who's going to show up. You don't know when they're going to put the paddles up, when they're going to put the paddles down. As we reported, Josh Harris was willing to pay $5 billion for the Broncos, but he didn't want to bid $5 billion unless he knew $5 billion would get it done. He couldn't get that assurance, so he didn't do it. So what happens? The Walmart clan saves 350 million. Josh Harris could, could offer 5 billion right now for the Seahawks. 
It's not for sale. How about 5.1? It's not for sale. How about 5.2? Not for sale. How about 5.5? Not for sale. How about six? So that's how it works. So there's high stakes. It's a dance. There's a lot of nuance. But at the end of the day, it's very simple. You want part of your leverage to be, I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it. How about this much? I'm just going to keep it. How about this much? I'm just going to keep it. At some point, at some point, you say, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll sell. One last point before we get to some of the questions, and it's become a big topic this week. We hear about this from time to time, but the news that Demarius Thomas, former NFL receiver who died of a seizure back in December, had grade two CTE makes news. It makes headlines. We still don't know what it means to have CTE. We I think we're at the point where we assume anybody that's played football long enough to play at a high level in the NFL has some amount of it. It's inherent to the sport. But what does it really mean for the sport? People have asked me, what can the NFL do about this? The NFL is doing all it can. The NFL, and look, let me be clear here. When the NFL is at fault, and I'm talking about the league office, when they do things that they shouldn't do, I will be the first to call them out. But I also think they need to be praised for certain things they do that are smart. And one thing the NFL realized, October of 2009, when the commissioner and D. Smith, the NFLPA executive director, were called before Congress, the Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and they were pressed on the failure to do anything about head trauma, they got their house in order. And the NFL has systematically tried to make the game safer. The NFL has tried to remove all unnecessary helmet contact from the game. Now, they haven't gone as far as to remove contact that is deemed necessary. One of the things we pointed out after John Madden died late last year, he was advocating two-point stance for offensive and defensive linemen to avoid that initial blow to the head that happens when the offensive lineman fires off the ball to block on a run play or when the defensive lineman hurdles into the offensive lineman to try to get past him on a pass play. They haven't made changes that would fundamentally alter the way the game looks and feels, but they have tried to remove or minimize unnecessary helmet contact, whether it's at games, practice, off-season workouts, et cetera. They're trying to protect the human brain as best they can. There's just only so much you can do because it's ultimately football. Yeah, that clunky rule they put in place a few years ago about lowering the helmet to initiate contact. It's a mess to enforce. It's explained in Playmakers. It wasn't even something that was created by the football people. It was a PR slash health and safety thing to create the impression they're doing enough to enhance safety, knowing that there's only so much you can do. And that's really the end of it. There's only so much the NFL can do. And let's be realistic about it. And I know that there's plenty of people out there that, oh, well, the guy's just trying to protect uh, where his bread's buttered. But look, I, I don't want football to go away. I don't want football to stop being played. Millions of people don't want football to stop being played. The reality is, and, you know, a lot of the folks who were agitating for the downfall of football 10 years or so ago, making a big deal about decreased youth participation and people aren't going to play football and everybody understands now the risks and they're just going to choose not to play. And remember when Chris Borland retired after one year in the NFL, the folks who want to bring down pro football were acting like, oh, this is the first of many. It's the first of one. Seven years later, one, who retired early specifically because of concerns over head trauma. Now, every once in a while, there'll be a guy who retires in his 30s, who's at the veteran minimum salary one year at a time stage of his career, and he may throw out that idea. And it makes sense at that point, because how much more do I want to take for a veteran minimum salary when I've already made a bunch of money and I've got it saved? I really don't want to go through this for one more year, take another full season of blows to the head periodically for that amount of money. It's just like buying the Seahawks. If you're going to give me, you know, oh, for 1 million, I won't do it. 2 million, maybe I'll do it. 3 million, I'll definitely do it. 4 million, yes, sign me up. That's just one of the factors that gets included in the decision to be made as to whether or not to keep playing. So the bottom line is the NFL is doing everything it can to make the game safer. There's only so much that can be done. 
and players are still playing. They're still playing. And it's not just football, soccer. There was a, a former MLS player who had grade two CTE. That just came out last week. Rugby, hockey, auto racing, MMA. My God, have you ever watched a UFC event? The UFC benefits from the fact that it's not more popular than it is because if it was as popular as football, it would be banned. It is far more brutal right now than football. I mean, I, I remember seeing some of these exchanges where, you know, a guy gets hit in the head six, seven times before the referee can spring over top of the, the fighter's body to, to stop the brain damage potential. So there's a lot of sports out there that involve contact with the head, potential for concussion, and, and people know the risks. They can't say they don't now. They know the risks and they choose to play. So I, I'm, I'm not here to try to convince anyone. I'm just explaining how it is. Yes, there are risks. Yes, people get CTE. No, we still don't know what it means to have it. And I worry about the guys who played and who can get freaked out by this possibility that they think it's inevitable that they've got something in their brain that's going to go haywire. That's a tough thing to walk around with, assuming that one of these days you're going to wake up and you're going to be different because you played football. At some point, you're going to have some serious cognitive issue because you played football, that it's inevitable that's going to happen. I don't think it's inevitable, and I still don't think we're anywhere close to fully understanding and appreciating what it means to have CTE. All right, let's see what questions we have. For this Wednesday edition of PFTOT, that's my way of buying time while I queue up. I usually queue it up ahead of time. So bear with me as I look for the tweet from earlier today. Let's see what we have here. Going in sort of blind. I looked at them a little bit earlier. There's some repetition here. I mean, PFTM, uh, PM Posse, did, did you not listen to Friday's episode? You got like two or three questions already asked me and then I already answered. Ask and answer would be the objection from, uh, from lawyers in the crowd. All right, let's see what we have here. Here's one. Why are legal and political documents, which affect so many regular and everyday people in our everyday lives, written in legalese or language that most law lawyers, politicians, legal experts, et cetera, can't understand? Look, it's just... It's just it just kind of happens that way. You know, there, there, there can be an insensitivity to the audience or, or a failure to properly gauge who the audience should be. But there is a lot of, and I think I try to impress people too. I think that's part of it. If you write it in too simple or common of phrasing, you're going to have people that you look up to or your rivals, you don't want to look stupid or ineffective to them. I, th I think there is a lot of that goes on. It's human nature. There's certain people you want to impress. Got to make it look good. Got to make it sound good. The problem is, yeah, 95% of the people can't even begin to understand it, but that's just kind of the way it is. And it is a different kind of language. And I think the best lawyers who are good writers know when to write in a way that the average person will understand if the average person is the intended audience. I think that's really the key. Understanding who your intended audience is and, and drafting it for them and not getting caught up in this idea that I need to impress somebody, that I need to look smarter or not look dumb, not use too common or basic of language. So that's just part of it in a nutshell. All right, let's see what else we have here. Sean, you can't be serious here, Sean Alvishar. Do you think the AFC, the NFC might reach out to Alabama and Georgia to expand the conference to 34? I mean, it's, it's funny because there's some truth at the bottom of that. These college programs are becoming professional operations, and they have been. They have been. The fact that players were able to make no money until July 1 of last year helped just keep the fiction intact that these aren't billion dollar professional football operations once the players can get paid even if it's indirectly that ripped down the facade and we all know that that these are essentially professional sports operations and we're seeing what happens the the, the best teams the teams that are perceived to be the most successful in this age of the nil money where if you play in a bigger market with a bigger alumni base and more money that possibly comes in to help you get better players. That's just going to be the key to having the best teams and they want the best teams and the best conferences and ESPN is part of it. And Fox is part of it. Everybody's trying to be kingmaker here as they reshape college football. But 
I don't think we're going to see Alabama or Georgia become part of the NFL anytime soon, but we're going to see college football look and feel a lot more like the NFL in one very good way. I made this point yesterday. Right now, you got a small handful of teams that are going to compete for the championship every year with, with some, some potential for turnover, right? A Georgia pops up and supplants a Clemson. Alabama is just kind of always there. Ohio State's just kind of always there. When you get it down to su two super conferences that truly are making all the money, that truly are in the best position to recruit the best players, and this is one of the reasons why Nick Saban is so adamant about the current NIL reality. It's going to make it harder for him to get the players he wants because there's going to be more money for those players at other schools. That's it, plain and simple. That's it. That's why he whines about it all the time. You could see more teams. You could see a broader band of programs that are ultimately vying for a championship. But it eliminates the possibility of a team that isn't in that upper echelon catching lightning in a bottle one year and riding it all the way to their championship. It's just not going to happen. If you're not in one of the top two conferences, SEC or Big Ten, it's going to be very difficult to compete for a championship. So you're going to have tiers, first tier, second tier, third tier, fourth tier, everybody else. That's how college football is going to be. That's what it's going to become. And uh, we're, we're in the process of those, those labor pains working their way toward what will be two super conferences, a couple of second tier conferences, some third tier conferences, and then pretty much everybody else. Neil watches PFT with the preseason now less than a month away. What do you miss most about football? I read this one earlier and I was thinking about it. I, what I miss most is that feeling that you get when you're watching a game that is close in the fourth quarter, that is exciting in the fourth quarter, and you just can't wait to see how it all plays out. You're, you're kind of caught in this, in this middle ground of, I can't wait to see how it plays out, but I don't want it to end. I want to know who wins, but I want to enjoy it. I remember the feeling November of 2018, after that Rams-Chiefs game, the one that was supposed to be played in Mexico City and ended up being played at the Coliseum. You didn't want it to end. Bills-Chiefs this year in the playoffs, you didn't want it to end. You wanted to keep going. I love that feeling most specifically in the afterglow of a big game where you're waiting for the press conferences and you, you know, from the perspective of what I do, stuff you can write about, stuff you can sink your teeth into for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because there was a bad call, bad call for one team, great call for the other team. We always lose sight of that. Oh, what a bad call. <laughs> you think the Rams were saying that in the 2018 NFC championship game? Gee, what about, that's a shame. Oh, that's a, that's a horrible call. Huh? huh. Sucks for the saints. Not for us. So I, I, I really, from the perspective of what I do, I love those games that prime time that have that afterglow that, that make you want to stay up late. And that happens sometimes can't fall asleep because that, that game was so exciting. It ended in such a rewarding way and you still want more and you get more from the aftermath. That's what I miss the most about football season. And it will be here as, as we always say every year before we know it. Neil watches PFT. If you held the ultimate decision on Deshaun Watson's suspension, how would you find? Well, look, I'm going to punt on this because I'm going to say I would have had to be there for the three days of the hearing. I need to know what the facts are. What evidence did the NFL present? Now, I'm told, and we've reported, that there was no evidence of actual violence, threats of violence, physical coercion. But I'd want to know the facts. I'd want to sit and hear how Deshaun Watson testified. I'd want to be able to see, and we don't know how many of the women who have accused him of wrongdoing actually showed up and testified, but you know, ultimately, there's a credibility contest here. And I'd like to think I'm pretty good at knowing when someone's full of it and when they're not, because I've been lied to by every shape and size of human being there is, every walk of life, every slice of the economic spectrum. Because what happens is, and I, I feel like I've said this not that long ago, people who are new to the legal system don't realize how easy it is for people who deal with it all the time to spot someone who's lying, because they're new to it. They think they're just going to go in and sell their story. So, and some people are very good liars. Some people are very good liars. And some people are very bad at telling the truth. They get nervous 
not because they're lying, just because they're overwhelmed by the entire system. So I would want to have the benefit of hearing Deshaun Watson testify, maybe even ask him a few questions myself based upon the questions that are and aren't asked. I'd want to see the evidence against him and I'd want to have a clear understanding of exactly what happened. And then I would take the personal conduct policy and apply it. And remember, it's not just whether or not there was any type of actual assault. There are catch-all provisions regarding undermining the integrity of the game or putting the health and safety of others, the well-being of others at risk. There are ways to get there without proving actual assault, but I would just want to have the benefit of all the evidence. And we have to trust that somebody who has accomplished enough to become a federal judge and to perform by all appearances well in that capacity for 25 years is going to know how to parse through all this and come up with a decision. And we, we just have to be ready for it. And this gets back to what we talked about earlier. She needs to be able to communicate it in a way that people will understand. Her audience needs to be the average person who's going to read it or the average reporter who's going to read it, who isn't a lawyer, and try to explain it to their audience so people can buy in and understand why she decided what she decided. Recliner QB, dude, I, I think Recliner QB is the same as PFTP and Posse. You just didn't watch Friday's show. Where you been? Where you been? I think you were out of town. Go back and watch Friday's show. You're asking a bunch of questions I've already answered, but that's fine. I'd, I'd rather have repetition than none whatsoever. Picks 204, how long will it take and what has to happen procedurally for the NFL to adopt new technology like USFL, 3D player and ball tracking? Et cetera, et cetera. If you truly want play-by-play -play betting, these changes need to come sooner rather than later. The key to the play-by-play -play betting is the technology that allows for no lag between what happens at the stadium and what you see on your phone or on your screen or wherever. And remember, the AAF had that that technology where there was an app and the, you could see the, the 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 tracking devices that were on the various players move in real time, but. I don't think that's quite the same as being able to see the action. That's the key. That's, that's the technology that ultimately matters. These other things are just bells and whistles that maybe make the calls more reliable. And at some point, the NFL needs to be concerned about that. But they've been, they've been unwilling to spend the money. I, I've been a big proponent of all the money they're going to make from legalized gambling. They need to peel some of it off and devote it to ensuring that the calls are better. With better officiating, full-time officiating, more creativity in improving the officiating function that's what the NFL needs to do. Keith Horton, what will it take coming out of the Mary Jo White investigation for Dan Snyder to be removed? If White concludes Dan engaged in wrongful conduct, will he be able to argue it's just one person's opinion and that he has been treated unfairly? And this gets back to the whole contest of credibility. He can say, he said, she said, well, Mary Jo White's job is to determine who's saying the truth. There are ways that you can either corroborate a claim or just to get the impression the person that you're talking to is telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're shading it in some way. And look, I'm a firm believer, and this is my opinion. Mary Jo White keeps getting hired by the NFL to do these investigations because she does what the NFL wants. That's, that's one of the dirty little secrets of these outside firms that provide investigative services, independent investigation. They want to keep getting hired by a cost-insensitive client to do these investigations. It's a great way to make a lot of money for your firm. So you're not going to keep getting hired if you're not giving the client what they want. Mary Jo White keeps giving the NFL what they want, so she keeps getting hired. So my prediction is she'll give the NFL what they want, and they'll do with it what they will. But I continue to believe that the league doesn't want to get caught up in full-blown litigation with Daniel Snyder and doesn't want him to be motivated to air out any and all dirty laundry he may have about his partners, the league office, whoever, whatever he may know, whatever he may have in those documents that the league won't reveal. Maybe John Gruden emails really were a shot across the bow at anyone else out there who may want to mess with Daniel Snyder. Another one from Neil Watch's PFT. Any good movies, TV shows you've been watching recently? I have a recommendation beyond season five super fan episodes of The Office on Peacock, where you have extended episodes. Most of them are at least a half hour long. It's great. New stuff you've never seen before. If you're a fan of The Office, you'll love it. If you're not a fan of The Office, it's a great way to introduce to the show. But, but at the risk of alienating the fine folks at Peacock, 
is a show that's available on Hulu right now. God striking me dead. Com a bolt of lightning from the Comcast building reaching all the way from Manhattan here to West Virginia. The Old Man with Jeff Bridges. Four episodes have been out. The, the last one was not my favorite. And I'm curious as to where it's going to go. But it's been awesome so far. Highly recommend it. Uh, Keith, Keith the Zed has busted me. No days off for PFT. Where is the July 5 episode? I just didn't do one yesterday because there really wasn't anything to talk about yesterday. I just, I just didn't do it. I didn't feel, and I can't say, oh, I was hungover from the night before. I wasn't. I just, it just wasn't happening yesterday. I don't want to sit here and just prattle on and on kind of like I am right now for no real reason. All right. I think that's it. Let's see. Do we have anything else? Uh, that's it. Appreciate you, as always. PFTOT signing off for July 6th, tentatively planned to be back July 7th. But if there really isn't anything happening, I am not going to do it. I appreciate the fact that you want new content, but there's only so much we can talk about until we start getting some news. The good news is, before you know it, training camps will be open and it will be an avalanche of NFL news and analysis. And again, 18 days from now, PFT, is it 18? Or is it 19? 19 days from now. Either way, tomorrow will be PFT Live. We'll be back. Thanks as always for your support. Check us out at ProFootballTalk.com. And maybe we'll see you back here again. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.